This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Woo-hoo. So we have a couple things to talk about. Uh, this is my second podcast of the day, so I'm I'm riding high on the podcast energy. I'm ready to go. Uh, some interesting stories, uh, some updates on some community stuff. We'll talk a little bit about COVID-19 as well, uh, but then some updates on some other stories. So why don't we jump right in? Before we, uh, before we talk about COVID, because I think that that's going to be probably a little bit of a bigger conversation, uh, let's talk a little bit about the update on the child care situation. So I'm pretty sure last time we talked about child care in Door County was when they were delivering deliberating on whether or not to close the Barker Center. And some things happened after that initial deliberation. And te- take me through that and tell me where we are now. Yeah, so they, the YMCA had to close the Barker Center. Uh, a lot of reasons behind it that we've covered in other podcasts. But in short, it was a um, revenue loser for the Y. Um, originally, it, it just about broke even. Now they were looking at their expenses, um, both now and moving forward, and anywhere from a hundred thousand dollar a year loss now to multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year loss in the future, just with some of the constraints that the Y has. Um, that sent a lot of businesses, organizations, the city, economic development corporation, all scrambling to try and figure out what to do because if you lose childcare, you very quickly face a loss of workers. Brian Stevens at Door County Medical Center said that he had five nurses that he would probably lose or would at least be um, faced with the decision of whether to quit their job to stay home to raise the kids. Other people were saying that if if something didn't come up, they might have to look at moving out of the peninsula altogether. So a lot of people banded together, started batting around ideas. The Y desperately wanted to try and find someone to take over the center. And Alexis Fuller, actually, who had been the director of the Barker, eventually was like, all right, let's let's see if we can form a nonprofit and take this over and and run this independent of the Y. And she came up with a business plan, uh, worked furiously um, with her sister, Bridget Starr, who works at Nicolet Bank and um, many other people in the community and came up with a plan to launch their own child care center um, and take over the Barker. Basically, Working with Door County Medical Center, she said that Brian Stevens and the Medical Center were great partners on this. They will lease the Barker building from the YMCA, then they will sublease it to this new organization, um, the Door Community Child Development Center, and that'll be the new name. It will no longer be called the Barker Center, and they'll lease it and operate, and they expect to be able to get off and rolling by September. Wow, that's a really quick turnaround for this. Yeah. And it, as it should be, because it seems like it's a very important topic to try to spearhead right away. Right. Um, have they have they put any any pl- like pen to paper on what they're planning to do with this in terms of the the care that they're going to offer? I, I, I'm asking because like I, I compare it to Northern Door Children's Center, which is very educational and focused on development. Is that something similar that they're looking to spearhead here? It's a similar situation here. And um, Alexis is... You know, with her experience having actually worked at this very center, not just like a co- child care professional, but history in this building, um, her goal is to bring back as many of the old staff. And she said that m- most of that staff were really sad uh, when it closed, not just to lose their job, but because they really love 
working in childcare, and they didn't know if you know where am I going to find another job doing that up here. And but as anyone familiar with the situation knows that people who work in childcare probably don't get paid what they deserve. Our, we we just don't as a society value it enough to put the dollar figures on that. Um, what she's hoping to do in one of her the goals of her business plan is to raise the wages of those workers so that they can see this as a career path, not just a stepping stone job to go and become a teacher or do some become a nurse or do something that's um, going to pay them much better. The median wage of a childcare worker in the United States nationwide is about $10.72 an hour. Um, many areas of the country, it's much lower than that, down minimum wage, $7.50 to $9. Um, the workers at the, at the Barker, um, from what the Y told me, were making they just raised it from about $12 to $14 an hour um, just last year. And to keep them, they knew that they were going to have to raise those even more. Now, the why, because of their size, with more than 50 employees, they had to provide health care benefits um, or health insurance. With By separating it from the why, you don't cross that threshold. So they don't have to offer health insurance, which is one part of the economics that changes for this center now that they're split off. They still face the problem of not having a lot of four-year-old um, kids available. If uh, if anybody remembers the conversation or is familiar, um, your ratios of teachers to students are right around four to one. Until you get to like the four-year-old bracket, then you can have 12 to one. So you're, obviously your finances, your economics work much better at that point. But with Sturgeon Bay High School offering free four-year-old kindergarten, although you lost all those students, so that right. dynamic still exists. Yeah, it, it's it's wonderful to hear that the the wages is a, a thing here. That that raising the wages is a concern right off the bat, and it, it's really interesting what you said about how we as a society don't value childcare professionals, and yet we need them, right? Like desperately, we, <laughs> we need them more than anything. And it's the same thing with school and teachers as well, and education. Like with the, the everybody's talking right now about reopening schools and what that would look like and and how to do it. And the the question almost never comes up on like the proponents of reopening school. It never comes up on like, what about teacher safety? And also what about like, we're asking teachers to to teach in this completely different manner than they've ever done before. We're asking them to take on all these different responsibilities, but we're not at all talking about increasing their pay. <laughs> so it, it, it's just so interesting that you say that we don't value that education. We don't value the child development or the child care uh, and yet we need it so desperately. And we can see how much we need it right now because of COVID-19. Child care is a huge concern for people right now. Uh, going back to school, schooling, all that kind of stuff is top of mind for everybody. Uh, and and yet we're not talking about how do we increase benefits for teachers? How do we pay people more? That kind of stuff. So I'm glad to hear that it's a, a part of the conversation in in opening this new uh, center. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... And it, it comes down to... And it's a pretty basic, easy to understand concept, right? The training people and and turnover at any business is a huge pain. It's a it's a huge time suck. It's a huge cost to anybody to try and fill positions and find new staff. Once you train them, you get the value once they've been around three, four, five years. Um, and hopefully they're growing with you. So if you can pay them more and keep them in that profession and and keep them at your business, then it's just, it leads to more long-term stability. Your product gets better and maybe you can charge more for that product. Now, childcare is a little different in that sense, but um, makes it a lot easier to operate your business. They, 
they did say like the Y has been a really great partner in trying to make this happen. Um, there's roughly a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment and materials in that building that the Y is just going to hand off to this new center. And then once they take over the official lease, the Y Tom Bernstein said they plan to just donate that to them. Um, so that really helps with the startup costs for them to take this over. Obviously, the medical center helping a lot. Nicolay Bank has helped a lot. Uh, they, she mentioned Door County Economic Development Corporation. Some folks from the city, Pam Seiler, Josh Van Leeshout, in helping them move this forward and get everything covered and, and get the approvals. And that's why she said it was important to her to call it the Door Community Child Development Center because she felt like it was really a community effort. Um, she kind of shunned the idea of it like being like, oh, Alexis Fuller did this thing. I mean, it does sound like she has been the driving force, but she was really trying to give a lot of credit to all these other people who have who have helped uh, move this forward. So that is that is one big solution to childcare. But even with that operating, that serves roughly 80 children. The well, I should say that for anybody interested, I think they, they opened their enrollment August 10th. So August 10th, and they have a wait list available online right now that you can sign up for if you go to their Facebook page. There's another um, parallel effort going to create a multi-generational center um, in cooperation with Sturgeon Bay Health Services Nursing Home, which is, some people might be familiar with it as the Dorchester Nursing Home, which it used to be called. And before that, it was actually the, I think the original hospital in Sturgeon Bay, Um, but it's on Jefferson Street. And there's an old dormant wing of that building and a, a gentleman by the name of Ryan Zaylor is um, working on an effort to start uh, Door County Children of Hope, which would be a combination nursing home and daycare center where obviously right now with COVID, they wouldn't do it in combination. But long term, you would have the daycare in the same building as a nursing home. So you'd have the, the two different generations intermingling where it would be a benefit to the elderly population in that nursing home, but also help provide interaction and new learning opportunities for the children. So hmm. another really interesting idea that was needed even before the Barker closed. Right. This is this is maybe the the most feel-good story that I've heard in like five months. Just the, <laughs> yeah. it, it comes out of a place where it was like the, the conversation that we had was pretty heated when we first talked about this, just in terms of like the challenges that Door County is facing and the solutions that need to come about sooner rather than later. And to see this, to see the community come together to solve this quickly is really wonderful. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way just in seeing how many different hands came together to make this thing work. Like the YMCA donating the equipment, I think is kind of the cherry on top for this whole story where it's like, we're going to make this work and we're going to make it work as easy as we can because we need this to, we, we need this for the community. And it's just such a cool story about that. Yeah. You're, you're right in pointing that out. I'm glad you did too, because yeah, we usually come in here for the last five months and it's all right, businesses are closing. What's the future and how are we going to get by and what's summer going to look like? And am I going to get sick? You know, all those things. It is nice to go in the midst of this, in the midst of all the crap we see online and the, and the negativity that's out there that, okay, when there's a need in this community, people still can come together and be positive and move forward on something. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of credit to those organizations who have been working on this because that is a really fast turnaround to reinvent something that's a, a vexing problem all over the country. Right. Well, and, and what you just touched on there, this is a community that comes together to solve problems. That's that's really what makes Door County special when you when you really talk about it. Like, yeah, we have all these great natural resources and it's a great tourist community and it's great to live up here. But the fact that the community comes together to solve problems is like the divining characteristic for people who really love Door County. And and it, it's cool to see just another an, another facet of that in, in this. Um, another thing 
kind of having to do with the community. I know I know we're going to like do a quick heel turn here and, and jump back into the more <laughs> depressing stuff. But uh, I, I think that there's some really interesting things to talk about in terms of the community and how we're dealing with stuff is uh, I believe it was last week now that Husby's announced that they were closed indefinitely because of a positive COVID-19 test on their staff. And this is something that we've seen from a couple of different businesses in Door County already. Uh, Husby's, of course, being a big one, and we'll talk about why it, it's so important just for the, the Northern Door community and its location in it. Uh, but they, they announced that they had to close uh, not because they were being forced to or anything like that, but because they wanted to be transparent and they wanted to keep people safe and let people know what was going on. Uh, so they posted on social media that they were closing. Uh, and I believe that they've been closed since, what was it, last Thursday? They closed and they reopened on Tuesday. They did reopen. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about this kind of from the get-go. What what did you learn in your, your investigation of this? Or did you do any investigation just in terms of who you were calling and that kind of stuff? Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about what a closure like that means for the community. Well, Husby's posted on social media that they are on their Facebook page that they were closed indefinitely. Um Immediately, my phone was blowing up with messages from tons of different people. Um, and I talked to Chad Kanako, the one of the co-owners there. And essentially, they had someone test positive. They, As soon as they got that positive result, they shut down the dining room, literally going around to tables saying, you can finish your meal, but we'll be closing after this. If you'd like to leave right away, please feel free to. And nobody did, he said. But um, they ultimately sent everybody to get tested. And it was really an eye opener, I think, for, you know, sent ripples through the whole community because they start sending people to get tested and some are told, no, you, you can't get a test. And Husby's are saying, well, we really don't feel confident reopening unless we know that our staff is is test or is um, negative for COVID. So because they want to give the confidence to the public, obviously. And so there were troubles getting tests and getting them done quickly and then whether they were even allowed to. So I think some of them just probably had to lie about symptoms to try and get a test right away. And then the results in any, in some cases were coming back in a day. In some cases they've been coming back seven to 10 days. So um, that really slows down the process for them to reopen. They were closed. It was really weird to drive through Sister Bay in the middle of July and see Husby's dark, right. like literally lights off and everything. It's just, it was kind of jarring. Um, but it also sent ripples through every other business. Um, going, all right, I have some, you know, people who work at Husby's work at other places in town. Um, people who work at other places in town go to Husby's. And so everyone was, I think Husby's would deluge with contacts of saying, hey, I, I ate there on Wednesday. Should I get tested or was I exposed and all those kind of things. So all the questions you'd expect to happen um, and probably what Culver's and McDonald's went through earlier in this crisis when they had to close for similar things down in Sturgeon Bay, um, except now you're talking about Husby's in peak season when there are thousands of people milling about Sister Bay and interacting with those people every single day. Right. Well, and, and like you said, the ripples that it sends through. So like not only did clo Husby's close, but the bowl closed their indoor dining as well in response to that, because they have members of their staff who are related to members of Husby's staff uh, in, in some way or connected to them in some way. So you've got two big businesses right there closing down in order to quarantine and get everybody tested and go back. And, and I want to touch on what you said about like the, how difficult it was to get tests, because like I know that you should be presenting symptoms to get a test, but it, like, I, I feel like I should be able to walk into the clinic and say, I need a COVID test because I work at a place that is shut down because of COVID-19. So I need, I've been in close personal contact with somebody who is positive. I feel like that should be reason enough to get a test. Is it not? 
apparently not. <laughs> that, that's wild to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and now, granted, they they're doing triage, but triage from from a public health perspective does not have to include all the considerations that an individual business has and the repercussions that way. So they're saying, you know, okay, you came in contact with a person, was a close contact, no, but I work with them, we pass by a bunch. But no, I'm not sitting there face to face having a conversation. No, I'm not having any symptoms. So from a health perspective, they might say, you probably don't need to get tested unless you present symptoms. Or they might say, yeah, maybe you want to be careful in quarantine. Well, for somebody who works at a restaurant, they can't work from home. You can't waitress from home. You can't cook from home. You have to go into work. So you can't do a lot of the things that maybe a lot of us are very privileged to be able to do and isolate ourselves. So or, you know, if you're if you're like me, when I was working in restaurants, I was living with five other dudes <laughs> working at a bunch of other restaurants. Right. That's what was happening here, too, is that a lot of people were like, well, I'm roommates with this person who works with this person. And so the demand for testing, I talked to Brian Stevens at Door County Medical Center, their demand for testing skyrocketed. And um, they did open up, they've, they've been doing a Wednesday testing site in Sister Bay uh, at NWTC. Um, if anyone pays attention to the county's reports, there are now like consistently since the Husby's announcement, there have been over 300 pending tests every single day um, as they're waiting for those results to come back. Um, and you saw the the ripple effect throughout Sister Bay where many businesses were already pretty cautious. Gra- Grassy's Grill hasn't opened their dining room all summer. They're only doing takeout. Analog has only had a counter at the door. They have a tiny indoor space and they haven't allowed people to go in there. But now you saw Chop and Lure require masks inside until you are seated at your table. Um, that happened at many other restaurants. The Boathouse closed their indoor dining for the time being. Um, and other places throughout Door County did the same thing. But Sister Bay, basically, everyone put in more stringent measures if they hadn't already. Um, in part because Husby's, as Chad had said, they were not requiring customers to wear masks. They were, they were allowing indoor dining with the table spaced out. Um, they were doing all the cleaning measures, but their outdoor bartending staff was not wearing masks. And with, you know, it, it presents a very interesting question. Like, okay, that wouldn't be maybe what the public health department recommends, but there's no law. There's no rule that they had to do that. Um, it is in the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation's guidelines for reopening for restaurants would be to have all staff members wear masks in the, that case. Um, so there's, so then of course they get some backlash and criticism of people saying, well, of course not. You don't have staff. Nobody's masking up. You're not requiring masks. That's what happened. Husby's counters. Like, how are we going to force all these people who like if if you believe in wearing masks, you're probably not coming to Husby's. If you don't like we're not going to be able to force you to change your mind. And it goes back to that question of do you leave it up to individual businesses to try and enforce this thing without any backup? And even Chad said that he's like, I, I would like there to be a statewide mask mandate. But if there's not, how do you expect us to do this individually on a on a small village scale or on an individual business scale, it's just too much to ask. Right. I mean, some people would disagree and say like, no, it's not too much to ask, but I get that argument. It's a tough spot to put a business in. Right. And, and if you have, if you have that mandate to support you, then it's not a question. Then it's just like, oh yeah, of course. Well, we'll all mask up and we'll require masks because we've, we've got that support. And when you leave it up to individual businesses, you can find people being like, we'll do this and this and this, but we won't do this or we won't do this or we'll do this and this. But when it's there at a county level, then you've got that support behind you. And then it makes it easy to make that decision. And again, going back to the the testing turnaround, if if a member of your staff tests positive, it makes sense to close down, have everybody go get a test, and then be able to 
reopen in a couple of days when those results come back. Because if you're not able to get everybody to have a test, then what's the responsible thing to do? Have everybody quarantine for two weeks and then reopen? Yep. Like that, that's so much more challenging for a business to have to deal with. If there's a lot of tests available and people can get a test in this type of situation easily, then you can close for a couple of days, get everybody tested, and then reopen safely in three days, not two weeks. Well, how about so, the next day? If we can get it to that I mean, point, like, that would be awesome. Let's be honest. Like if we... if. I shouldn't say let's be honest, but like you just walk through it is if we just have enough tests and we have the turnaround time and we ramp up and invest in it with the labs and and reagents and everything you need. Um, and this is again, this is people shouldn't confuse this with the criticism of Door County Medical Center or any hospital. It's really about the labs um, or our ability to create a, a quick turnaround test. But if you can get those test results in a day, Husby's can reopen the next next day, 24 to 36 hours later. Right. Instead, they're closed for five days, which is tens of thousands of dollars of revenue in peak season, which insurance companies are fighting not to cover. So, well, and then the other side of that argument is like being able to close and then reopen very quickly is this idea of like in in your money making strategy, right? So uh, on one end of the spectrum, you have kind of a very aggressive money making strategy where you're not necessarily requiring masks. You're opening up as much indoor seating as you can. You're having most of what you offer available to people. Uh, But then you run the risk of higher contamination rates, having to close down, open up. You get these big bursts of money and then these periods of being closed and back and forth compared to a, a less aggressive way to do it where it's like let's not do indoor dining we'll offer reduced services we'll make less money but we'll have that consistency throughout we won't have to open and close open and close and i think that that's maybe a debate that business owners are having right now too is like what's what's the more viable option is it the the quick bursts of as much money as we can make uh, followed by days where we're not making anything because we have to close down and reopen or is it we're going to take a loss throughout the whole summer but we're going to stay open the entire time yeah and having been in that situation myself in the restaurant business where you know like the winters are so long and so thin i mean we used to stay open till the very last second we could be open and be getting money in the cash register because you you need the most out of those days so it's a lot of pressure it's a lot to ask um of these business owners to sacrifice i i get it they're they're in a really tough spot and at the end of the day like husby's has taken a lot of heat but there's no telling so as of tuesday Everybody who had gotten their test results back, and there were a couple who hadn't, but everyone who had gotten their test results back was negative. And the ones who hadn't were not allowed to return to work yet. But so there's no indication that it was a massive outbreak related to husbies or floating around amongst their staff in a great number. And the Door County total has only gone up a couple. Um, and there's no saying that that person didn't get it from somebody who works somewhere else that she, like the, the village looked at it as that person is the the vector, like the, the layman does, but the vector might actually have been the person that gave it to this person, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it no might've come from any other restaurant in town and nobody knows where that is. Right. Um, so, it, I mean, it's just a, a tough one and I don't know how, how you contact trace at that point. <laughs> yeah, and you, you can't point fingers and say like, this person got it while he was, while they were working at Husby's from a customer at Husby's. You can't say that because you don't know, right? You also mm-hmm. can't say that like, well, they probably infected everybody else because again, that you don't know what the situation was that actually accounted for that. 
all you can look at is the actual like test results that we have. It wasn't spread among the staff at Husby's. Uh, so the likelihood of, you know, getting it there and, and whatnot, it, it, it's hard to point fingers and be like, well, if you had done this, then this wouldn't have happened. It, it's, it's more complicated than that. And I don't think that that's the way to go about it. Like you shouldn't be shaming Husby's for what happened because they're, they're not in a bubble in this. You're going to be seeing this a lot throughout the summer, especially as, as our our positive tests are going up. You're going to see other businesses close as well. Um, hopefully the majority of them have the same transparency that Husby's did in announcing their closure and, and trying to do what's best for their staff and for their, their customers in that way. Uh, but it, this isn't an isolated incident and it's, it's something that you're going to see more throughout the summer, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's, it's another example of when you saw the response by other restaurants all throughout Northern door, and it's another example of how nothing's real until it's in your own backyard. Nothing changed about the virus when Husby's had a person test positive. Right. Like it didn't change the scope of the pandemic that the world's been dealing with for the last five months. But it took that for a lot of local people to go, OK, now I now I really care. You know, now I'm scared or now I understand that I got to want to hit my business. And maybe there's merit. Maybe there's merit in saying that you didn't have to worry about it before to that degree. But fortunately, um, the cases have not skyrocketed out of that. We still have just 20 active cases as of yesterday. Um, statewide hospitali- hospitalizations have been going up. Cases have been going up. So there's some concern there. But um, maybe that image of Door County as this safe, un- uncontaminated uh vacation destination where you don't have to wear masks and everything maybe that'll go away at least so right well and there's a lot of people who are talking like around the the mask mandate that we had talked about last week people talking about how all of these things are happening too late and everything is too late but the the proverb that i always go back to is the best time to plant a tree is 100 years ago but the second best time is today right Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah we're really behind on this but if we do something now we're not going to get nearly as bad as we would without doing anything at all. Right. And so that's like the next big push is like, we need to look at what's happening right now. And, and we, even though we haven't been doing it so far, now is the time to start re-examining these things. And you're seeing businesses doing it. You're seeing businesses change their business plans. I hope that you see the county board do it. Uh, I hope that you see the the leadership step forward and re-examine what's going on and, and decide that it's not too late, that now we can actually try to nip this in the bud as best as we can moving forward. So I, I hope that that's what we see. It's unfortunate that it's getting to this point that we're having to look at these incidences as ways to spur us forward. But I, I guess sometimes that's what it takes. It, mm-hmm. it takes it. It takes that incident for you to go like, oh, okay, this is real. We got to do something about it. But you know, it's unfortunate that that's the way that it works, but I hope that we do see some positive change coming out of it. Right. One last story that I want to talk about briefly with you. Uh, Miles, is it okay to take rocks from Pebble Beach? No. No, it's not. Uh, and now it is especially not uh, because there's been uh, there's been some new developments on what happens to you if you take rocks from Pebble Beach. Yes, the village of Sister Bay has approved an ordinance that uh, if you are caught stealing stones from Pebble Beach, you will get stoned with stones from Pebble Beach. Right, um, and it keeps it there in the in the environment, yeah. which is great. So um, you have the liberty to just throw rocks at people. Uh, the village has actually um, approved an ordinance to institute a fine of $300 for anybody who is caught removing stones from Pebble Beach. Uh, this is because it, it, it applies even if you take a single stone, but the reason it exists is not so much because people took a stone or something or a keepsake, but people were going down there and loading up wagons or backpacks 
full of stones and removing them from the beach. Um, same type of thing that used to happen at school and probably still does happen at Schoolhouse Beach where they have a $250 fine for stealing the rocks. But people take these to bring to their home, use in their own home garden projects or home home projects and things like that. And there's just been a lot of incidents of it. So the village will be, I think there's a temporary sign up now and they'll be getting a permanent sign. Um, so hopefully uh, that'll deter some people from ruining this great thing we have. Right. That That is good news for sure. And it, it's so sad because like you can love Door County and you can own a portion of Door County, but you don't own Door County. And I feel like that's the mindset that leads people to be like, I'm going to fill my backpack up with rocks so that I can yeah. say that like, this is mine. <laughs> and it, it's sad, especially when it's a natural resource like that, that's so special. I mean, we have two stone beaches up here in Door County and both of them are really unique and really cool. Um, a lot of people like to skip the stones. I know that that's not necessarily a good thing to do either is uh, it? it it's it's not but at the same time it's like eh, i don't know it, it's a dicey thing so if you skip why, a stone, why is skipping stones not good be, I, I, as a stone skipper myself because you are taking the stones that have appeared on the beach over hundreds of years of wave action and you're throwing them back out into the water so you are depleting the stones on the shore much faster than the stones will be brought back in by the waves so presumably, if you had enough people doing it, uh, all of the rocks would go away. But, I'm not sure on the science. I think the waves are powerful enough to bring the stones back. But they don't bring them back this, like in the same amount of time that it takes you to skip it back out. Well, no. Right. But I think it, although they might bring a ton of stones out back up at once, you see the little ridges form after storms yeah. where they've pushed a ton of stones up. Right. So You're still- I think it's probably a wash. I, I don't know if it's a wash. And I also know that it is a controversial topic as well. So anytime <laughs> that we have done videos where we feature stone throwing because it's a cool shot, you always have people coming in who are like, don't take the stones, number one, but also don't skip the stones because it's bad for the environment. Hmm. So I, I, I see both sides of it. Um, is, I'll have to research more. I just got to admit, I've never, never even considered that. Right. Maybe uh, I'm wrong. And, and I could be wrong, too, in the science of it as well, but that's what I understand from the limited research that I've done, is that it makes sense that you're depleting a resource faster than it's being repleted. Uh, it is renewable in that the wave action does bring the stones back, but it just takes longer than it does to deplete. So if you've got everybody skipping stones, it takes a, it's a lot quicker to deplete the stones on the shore than it is to bring them all back, even though they probably all will be brought back eventually. We'll do some in-depth reporting on this. We'll do a whole hour podcast of it where we'll bring in a rock expert. You want to talk more about beaches? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I think we've I think we've got it covered. Well, I do. Sorry. Oh, um, there's more. Yeah. Oh, that was a segue. Yes. That oh, was a, see, I'm getting good at this. They're, they're really good, but they come out of left field. So I, I, always, <laughs> yeah. I always mess them up. Go this ahead. This is how well more. we plan our podcast listeners. We, we, we're winging it. Um, I don't have I don't have more beaches in my notes, so this is uncharted <laughs> territory. You're going to hear my facade totally drop off. Well, one, I just thought it was worth noting that the Egg Harbor Beach expansion is now completed. That was a roughly $850,000 expansion um, that brought added about 50% more shoreline um, where they've put some stone revetment in for seating and a water access that is ADA accessible. So you can take a wheelchair down to the, the shoreline, which is a really cool aspect of it. And uh, if you get a chance to go down there, it's, you know, for, for those who grew up there, it was always called the egg or the Alpine beach. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's actually the, the public beach sector of that, but yeah, it's, it looks really great. Uh, it really improved what was just kind of a, you know, a 
undeveloped shoreline, I guess, and just added beach and added sand. So especially now that there's high water, some of that added sand, it looks really great. Um, is this is this the the potential alpine purchase that we talked about a couple weeks ago, or is this separate? No, this is separate. This is the project they embarked on this winter. They are still eyeing and waiting to hear what happens on their offer for an acre of alpine shoreline property that would expand it to the other side of the beach. Okay. What else about beaches? You've seen the facade drop. I don't. We're in uncharted territory. Well. I thought this it's interesting because I've heard some people we have posted a couple articles about like Sand Bay Town Park or Hoach Trail area of Newport. And some people have said, quit posting about the beaches, though they're for locals. Yes, this is a really good thing to bring up uh, on the podcast this week. If you listen to Wednesday's episode, we talked to Maddie Shirtle about this because she wrote that article uh, and she got to see some of that controversy come in. So we talked about that a little bit. But, but tell me your thoughts on that. Well, I just and a, I think it's funny that we have public spaces that people say like you you shouldn't tell anybody about those. Those are mine. They're all of ours. They're here because we've invested in them or because somebody donated them. Like, I certainly didn't buy it. Like, I have paid in my tax dollars because I don't own a very expensive home. I've paid very little for it. So, like, who am I to say that other people can't go to any place? Pebble Beach, I never wrote about it until it was public because it was private property for the most part. Um, but the the other thing is, like, right now when we do these articles, the point is, you know what? Door County's packed with people and we can't do so many of the other things that we've always done um the theaters the events the f- the festivals those are all gone so what can we tell people to do what can we do to keep them discovering things and excited about life in door county right now and one of those things is hey here's some not you don't want to give away all your secrets but here are some hidden gems here's some places that maybe ease the burden on everyone just packing into the same three or four places right and truth be told like even like a packed Europe Bay Beach, there's still some room there. <laughs> um, and even even these places that we consider to be like overwhelmed, they're they're really actually still pretty spacious by most standards of the world. Maybe not by Door County standards. Right. The other thing that I I was thinking about is the burden that's going on some of these beaches. Not as much of a great impact as the Pulse has because we have the power to change everybody's behavior on a day to day basis. That's true. But. Um, also, like, there is no Whitefish Dunes Beach this summer. The Ephraim Beach is a sliver. The Fish Creek Beach has no sand. So those are three really popular beaches where between the three of them, you might be talking to, like, 1,500 people, maybe more, on, like, busy summer days. They're all getting pushed to the other beaches. Right. So um, it is maybe... And, and there's probably other beaches I'm not thinking of that have been really depleted that people can't go to this summer. So it's pushing a lot more of the burden onto the ones that do have sand and do have some space. Right. So it might also be making some of these other beaches look a lot more packed than they otherwise would be. Because right. in low water years, Whitefish Dunes Beach was a sprawling, long stretch of, of beautiful sand beach filled with people. Yeah. So the intention was not to expose your favorite local beach and send all of the tourists there to destroy it, right? The intention was just to spread the love a little bit, help people distance themselves a little bit more, get out of the house and go to the beach, which is a great thing to do right now, uh, but to do it in a way where we can all be safe and have the room to do it. Uh, And there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Now, all that being said, there are some spots that you won't write about, right? Some secrets that you have. Yes. And, and, And I think we all feel kind of the same way about that, that there are places that that we like to keep kind of quiet. We don't like to overexpose because, you know, the the sentiment there is 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 strong, right? The sentiment of like don't expose these secret spots because it's all we have left. That sentiment is strong. When you're directing it to somewhere like Sand Bay Beach, maybe it's it's less strong, but there are definitely places up here that we try not to write about as much just because they need to be kept 
a little bit quieter, even if it's just for their own protection, right? You don't want to take these more fragile environments and then overload them with people. And you know what? This is me getting a little annoyed by people. But also, like, if you are going to say, hey, don't expose this, if you're going to be that person, you better be on some friends group or some nonprofit or some committee that's helping to take care of that place. Because the one thing that's great about doing some of these articles is people going, you know what? I've I've heard locals, people who grew up here saying, I had never been to Newport State Park before. You know what? That is beautiful up there. That is wonderful. Like, how do they never go there? And it's gotten some people out of their ruts. It's gotten them out of their routine to discover other aspects of the county. And what that usually leads to is greater appreciation for it. And that's more protectors for it. It's more people who are invested, who might donate, who might get on a committee, um, groom a trail, do so many things for these parks. And unless you're one of those people doing all those things, um, maybe maybe be a little more quiet. Yeah, and I think that that's a fair point. If you are that passionate about a, a place up here, then turn that passion into protection. Like, and that's my poetry jam for today's episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just just turn that turn that passion that you have in, into something more productive for that area. Like try to protect the places that you love and do it in a way that's not just shooing everybody away from it so that you can enjoy it. Uh, do it in a way that, that gives back to the community. I think that that's a good twist on, on some of the controversy there. Yeah. And then we're back to the positivity. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, anything else that we want to talk about this week before we, we head on out? That'll do it. Perfect. Thank I got you. a proof of paper. Thank you so much for the updates on all of those things. Thank you for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.